Hello and welcome to the Leading the Line podcast. Um, I'm your host, Chris Marshall. Hello, how are you doing? Over the days, doing well. And we are back once again with another episode of There's Your Dinner. Except this time, it's got a little bit of a twist. Um, as today, I'm not only joined by a recognisable face from the world of women's football, as she played for Motherwell last term and has also been a Scotland Youth International, as well as being capped for Malta, but she has also been a freestyle skier and she's currently pursuing a career in boxing. Um, I'm delighted to welcome Anna. Welcome. I'm delighted to welcome Anna Vincente onto the podcast. Uh, Anna, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. I, I was so concerned about saying your name wrong that I got the word welcome completely wrong instead. <laughs> A nice, no, you said it right. All good. Nice compromise. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about quite a lot, I think, in this podcast, which is really exciting. But how are you doing just now? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Um, currently working loads. Um, I'm a post day for Royal Mail, so it's absolutely madness. Like, obviously, everyone's just at home ordering packets all day. So, yeah, work's been pretty busy, but I'm kind of grateful because it means I get out of the house and I'm still doing like exercise every day. So I can't complain. Does that? Does your work change that much when it gets busy? Other than there's obviously more to deliver, or do you feel that, or is it just the case of you turn up and you just deliver what you need to do? Uh, no, definitely, you can definitely feel it. Like, like normally during the summer, it's our quiet period. So sometimes we'll go out and we'll maybe only have like four trays for the whole day. Whereas now we've got like it's pretty much like Christmas time. Like every time we take a bag, every time we do a loop our bag is full of packets and then sometimes we've even got like extra ones in our hands, you know, because I, I hate going back and forth to the van. So I'll just take as much as I can in my hands so I don't have to keep going back and forth. Um, so yeah, you can definitely feel when it's busy, yeah. That's, that must be some good cardio, good workout work for you as well to do in the day job. Yeah, definitely. Well, I've lost seven kilos since I started working here. So I've gone from 64 kilos to 57, which is good, obviously, because now I can fight a, a lighter weight. And um, yeah, my job definitely helps me keep keep my weight down for the job. And it means I can eat whatever I want. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I do not have the ability to lose seven kilos from walking about, unfortunately. So I've got to try and not eat too much, but we won't get yeah. Um. Right, so we're going to talk about football, we're going to talk about skiing, and we're going to talk about boxing. Yep. Let's rewind all the way back to the very start. And I was reading somewhere that you said that football was your first love. So yep. in terms of growing up, like, what was what was your kind of memories of sport as a youngster? Obviously, somebody's taken on a lot in the recent years. Yeah, like, to be honest, um, I was quite a little ADHD kid. So my mum threw me into, like, all these summer camps and, like, everything. I used to do so many sports. I did, like, rock climbing, kayaking. I obviously did football. And kind of every single sport I would I would do, and I just I just love sport growing up. And my my dad's quite um, like he loves sport, so he always kind of pushed me to do stuff. And then we would do stuff together. And I think I was a little boy that he never had. So <laughs> um, yeah, I think he yeah I think he loved it. So so how did um, football end up being the kind of one you kind of put yourself towards? Uh, I don't know. I I kind of just. I loved it as a kid and my, my next door neighbour, he was um he was a striker and he so he used to just put me in goals and just smack the ball at me, smack the ball at me, smack the ball at me. So that's how I actually became a goalkeeper because before that I was just, I just got put on the park. I didn't know any position. My coach would just say, just run about. So that's literally what I used to do. I used to run after the ball everywhere. And yeah, just I just loved it. And I used to always play with the boys until I think I was like 13 or maybe 12 when I started playing with hips. They were the first kind of, girls that I started to play with so yeah that's what I was going to ask you next so when you actually started playing for club size it was how you started off with and yeah it's got on the kind of youth level as well so yeah how, how was that for you kind of going from like almost as you say kind of just running about doing everything to moving into that kind of club setup 
Yeah, it was amazing. At, at the time, um, it was a lot different to what it is now. You know, like Hibs back in the day when we were Hibs ladies, we weren't even allowed to use the Hibs badge. So we had like a different badge that we'd have on, on all our strips and stuff. So it was super different, but it was amazing. Like I like I say, I'd been playing with boys my whole my whole life and then going to girls it was kind of nice to see you like I'm kind of normal <laughs> um but um yeah the setup was really good there as well we had Ronnie Hamilton who I think is still involved in Scottish football and he he was um the like the kind of the manager there and then Caroline Weir was playing at that time Claire Emsley so like the the standard was was really high as well in terms of going away with Scotland as a, as a youth international it's not a question I think I've asked anybody yet so I'll ask you how yeah. how does that work for you? I take it you just kind of go away in your big group and there's um, people that look after you. Yeah, so I think I think we got picked through like regionals. We had like regional trials, and then every Friday we'd go to regionals. And then I don't actually know how they picked um, who would go away, but uh, yeah, like we used to have quite a lot of sp- sporting staff. Like we used to like my my most vivid memory from it was we went to. Uh, Glasgow I don't know what we were doing there maybe just a training camp or something but we stayed at the Holiday Inn at the airport there and yeah we got taken care of pretty well and even back then we were getting our petrol paid for (laughs) which was quite (laughs) nice so yeah it was super different the thing is like going from um, football even then like getting our our petrol paid for to skiing where we had to even pay our entry fee at the start it was it was quite a big difference but yeah that's another thing. (laughs) What what prompted then? Because obviously you were doing quite well in terms of your football career. What prompted the change from football to skiing? Uh, well, I started skiing when I was three. I actually started on a family ski holiday. So my dad kind of just put me on little reins and then let me go. And then I, I raced as well until I was like 14. And then I just found my love for freestyle, like tricks and basically going off jumps and flipping and spinning and stuff. And I don't know, there was like, there was a day where the British free ski, ca- um, British free ski, champs was on the same day as a Scottish cup final and my, I was like to my dad like I want to go skiing and he's like you can't go skiing like you're a keeper like you can't leave your team like that so I think after that we lost that game as well and I think at that age as well we were kind of like 13 14 so all the girls were kind of fighting and niffing at each other and I was like this isn't really what I want to be around and I started loving skiing way more than football anyway so they both were just taking off and I had to pick my dad kind of said like I had to pick so obviously I was a keeper it's quite an important position you can't just go in and out of that so yeah I decided to to go for skiing. I'm right in saying are you Edinburgh based is that right? Yeah I'm Edinburgh yeah. So in terms of getting into skiing then uh, once you decided it was going to be what you were going to do next was freestyle skiing immediately where you wanted to go or was it a case of I'm into this I'm going to try some of the some of the aspects behind it? Um, no yeah freestyle skiing was where I wanted to go I went I went on our British free ski camp in summer once again my mum put me away to, <laughs> to do some sport and uh, yeah the, the coach the British free ski's coach which was Pat Sharples at the time uh, he and he, I guess he saw some talent in me and he started inviting me to go away on trips so from there I got onto the British team and then I got into Bears Den Ski Club and at the time it was pretty much like what everyone wanted to be like or like the team that everyone wanted to be on in the UK so I got into there and we had a really good setup and every Wednesday night we would all go and we would all ski so hard for like two hours it was just so much fun um, and then yeah yeah um, Bears Den Ski Club is actually up the hill from my mum's house so there you go oh, there's a piece of um, 
knowledge that nobody really asked for. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're talking about. So yeah. did you find picking it up, especially in terms of the freestyle aspect, how did you find picking it up? Was it easy enough to do or did it take, is that, I imagine there's a lot of falling down involved. Yeah. Well, there was, um, I remember there was one, there's one video on YouTube at right now. I think I was trying this flip and I tried it for like three hours. Like I was like, I am not going home until I land this. <laughs> and there's like a video on YouTube and I'm just going over and over and over again. And then finally I do land it. But yeah, obviously like it takes a lot of, um, I guess, balls to do freestyle skiing because it is scary. Like you're, you're jumping, you're spinning, you're flipping. But yeah, I guess when I was younger, especially, I could just bounce. Like little kids, you see them now when I watch them skiing and they'll do, I'm like, actually like, oh my God, like, are they okay? Landed straight on their back and then they'll just bounce up. And I'm like, how can that kid do that? Like if that was me, I'd break my back. So I think definitely when you're younger, um, you've got no fear as well. So everything just kind of comes and especially if, like I was skiing once again with the boys. So I was just with boys all the time and I just looked at them and I guess I kind of saw myself as one of them. So I was always trying to either beat them or stay at the same level. So definitely skiing with all of them helped helped push me and then we had a really good coach at the time as well Neil McGrain so he he would help us and he would always push us as well and then we did a lot of trampolining work so that helps you with like um like air awareness so like if you think about it if you do a flip on a trampoline you know where you are in the air then you can transfer that to skis a lot easier than if obviously if you didn't do that so well I've asked a silly question here do you wear the yeah. skis when you're on the trampoline uh, you can get trampoline skis. They're not obviously like like the big <laughs> skis that you get. They're kind of just made out of foam. But um, it is a lot different, obviously, going from a ski, like skis to trampoline. But it's more about like knowing where you are in the air than having the skis on your feet, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, no, totally. Because I, I suppose if you don't know where you are in the air, then the ground's going to come at you really fast. Yeah, you? very fast, yeah. Well, that's the thing. When you flip, you see like the ground, then the sky, and then the ground. So I guess you've got something to kind of guide you, but. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you've also talked about being Team GB um, yeah. and the 2014 Winter Olympics. Uh, you were in contention for the squad, um, just missed out in the place. How did that feel in terms of being kind of close but not quite making it? Did it motivate you kind of going forward or what was your thoughts at the time? Yeah, at the time I, I was actually, I remember getting the phone call. I was in the gym and Pat called me and I was 24th in the world and you had to be top 24 to get a spot into the Olympics and I'd done my two qualifiers I think I can't really remember what I got I remember think I couldn't got an eight and an 11th and you needed two top 20s I'm not 100% sure but that's roughly about it and um yeah I remember Pat like calling me and a Russian actually got my spot because obviously they got a quota spot for holding the games so yeah I cried quite a lot I went to my car obviously left the gym straight away and <laughs> cried and then um, my sister was actually out in Toronto at that time so my mum was like you know what like maybe you should get away you know at the start of like the opening like GB would obviously be like proper you know it'd be everywhere obviously in Canada it was everywhere as well but I mean I guess it was from a different side but yeah like it was gutting and I did definitely use it to fuel me towards you know like getting me um, when obviously I went back on skis and stuff and it was really nice supporting everyone from from home so I guess I saw it from another side but yeah it was gutting I'm not gonna lie. How I say this having never tried to qualify for an Olympic event how how much time do you really ha like have to dedicate to like how all-consuming does it become? Um, well at the time so I was going away as much as I could I was still at school so 
I think in my sixth year of school, I was there maybe three months. And like, if it hadn't been for my teachers at Watson's, I would never have got my hires. Like they were so supportive. They were constantly emailing me, like making sure I was always up to date. And, you know, I was quite young as well. So even doing like stuff away from home, it was um, quite hard. But yeah, like I, I, there was so much time that we put into that. And every single time that we could, like every every Friday we would be like skiing in the in the indoors in like Glasgow or we'd be skiing at the um this the dry slopes. Even though it's not a mountain, you can still do a lot that you can transfer onto snow. So um yeah we were training every single day pretty much. And then after the Olympics uh, World Championships you picked up the a first ACL injury. Um, yeah. how how did that happen? Was it just a, a bad wipeout? Yeah, so I'll tell you a wee story. So um, in my my eighth at the World Cup, my first Olympic qualifier, I was in New Zealand and there was a practice day and it was a bit windy and I went up anyway and I was like, oh, okay, I'll train. Anyway, I slipped out of this cannon rail, which is basically a rail that goes up. So it shoots you up so you can have more air to do like time. Um, sorry, you've got more time to do like more tricks in the air. And... Uh, Sorry, I need to plug my laptop in. <laughs> it's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, so um basically I fl- I I slipped off that and I landed on my back just because I had to wait, my dog is scratching at my door. <laughs> Julie <laughs> Julie, can you get Suki away please? She's scratching at my door. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um yeah so basically I slipped off this rail and landed on my back and then I started to I guess have a little bit of fear of these kind of rails and then I went to the world champs and there was a cannon there again and I once again had had the fear and you know if you don't commit to something especially on skis like nine times out of ten you're gonna injure yourself so anyway so I was like looking at this cannon and my coach apparently said to me, don't hit it. Like, we'll just like build up to it. Anyway, I thought he said hit it. So I hit it. Once again, I slipped off the back because I had too much weight on my back foot. Slipped off. I landed back seat, which is basically like my bum on the floor. And I tried to stand up. And when I did try to stand up, my my ski caught like a a little rut in the snow. And I just felt, felt it pop straight away. And everybody, t- everybody talks about that pop, the ACL pop. And I was like, oh, I knew straight away that I'd done it. Like the woman came over, the first aider, and I didn't even sp- like, I didn't even speak. She was like, what's wrong? And I just knew, like, I was so gutted. So yeah, I, that was my first proper injury as well. So yeah, it was super tough. How was the recovery process like for that then in terms of how, how do you get back on the slopes kind of from that moment you're, you're done until you get back out there? Yeah, the well, I think I was twelve months that knee time, but I was go like once again. I was in the gym pretty much twice a day, uh, just trying to get as strong as I could to get to get back on skis. But yeah, my my I had a wee niggle as well. Like I had some scar tissue that had built up, so I had to actually go in and get another operation to get rid of that. So that kind of held me back, maybe a month or so. So, and especially that being my bit my first like big injury. It was pretty hard mentally, not going to lie. Uh, when you did come back, though, you had a, a pretty decent run at it. It was pretty successful yep. to spell back. And then it happened again, except this time it was a complete complete rupture. Was that right? Yes. Uh, well, yeah. I, so I, I had, like, a really good run. I had the best season of my life. Like, I absolutely loved that season so much. And me and my coach were looking at each other like, yes, like, here we go. Like, this is going to be good. And then I went back and, like, 
Oh, I actually did my shoulder that year. So I ruptured my AC joint in my shoulder, like tore three ligaments there. Did three months of rehab for that and then went back to that seat um, in back to Switzerland. And then I partially ruptured my ACL. And then everyone said, oh, you need to go get stronger than strong. Like I had enough ops just to like clear stuff out and like take my cartilage away as well. Um, and then I went and did that. And then I went to New Zealand and three days later, I totally ruptured it, which put me out for the... 2018 Olympics. Yeah, Pyongyang. Uh, as yeah. somebody who, who, and I don't even remember this, only has ever been in hospital for like an injury once is when I fell out of my bed when I was a wee guy. Um, what's it like having to kind of go in and out for all those surgeries? Yeah, like, to be honest, surgeries don't bother me anymore. They don't scare me. I think obviously my first one, it was scary. But now I just, I kind of look at them as I'm going in and getting fixed. <laughs> so, but I kind of know what's on the other side. But I like like I love the gym I love like having to work for stuff so I guess I don't, I don't know like in my last rehab I really looked at all this positivity stuff and I, I like I read a lot of books and that really helped me so I guess I look at life a lot differently now like all these injuries I'm like if that hadn't happened then once again I wouldn't be maybe as positive as I am now I wouldn't have been like as strong as I am now I've had all that time in the gym so I definitely look at it differently to maybe what someone else looks like, but in a way, as bad as it is, I'm grateful that they kind of happen. So um, we also talked about Pyongyang there, and they, I saw you mentioned kind of after you weren't able to make it that the, the kind of head was gone. At what point did you kind of go, nah, this this isn't going to be for me at the moment? Yeah, I think obviously Pyongyang was easier to watch. Um, I was watching that one from my bed, and it was easier to watch obviously because I knew that I hadn't tried to do everything that I could to get there. But it was last year I was in Switzerland and I was I was skiing and I was looking at people going off 60 foot jumps. And I was just thinking, there's not one part of me that wants to go do that. Like I, the, the fear hit me massively and I actually started going to the gym more than I was skiing. And that's when I kind of knew like that that skiing really wasn't for me anymore. And they say that, you know, as well, and you definitely do know. Um, but yeah, I had a few uh, sports psychology like kind of chats and stuff and nothing really helped me. So. I just had to accept it from there and move on, I guess. In terms of skiing, I imagine you get to go to some pretty beautiful places in the world to kind of do it. Is there anywhere that really stands out when you think back about it? New Zealand, for sure. I hate New Zealand because every time I went there, I got injured. <laughs> but I like it's, it, I guess it's like Scotland here, like up north. It's just so beautiful. And yeah, the people are awesome as well. So I'd say there, yeah, for sure. So skiing's off the menu. Um, yep. How did football then come back into the into the mix? So I'd I'd missed football actually since I quit. And last a few years ago, me and my friend actually just joined uh, a wee random club, and we we were both keepers at the time. So we were like, oh, we'll join it and then play outfield. So I kind of did that for a bit, and I was like, oh, I, like I just loved it so much. And then I was like, you know what? If I'm not going to do skiing, like I always need to do something. So I was like, I'll go back to football, like. It's been quite a while, but like once again, I love it. So I ended up um, messaging Motherwell and then got in contact with Andrew, who's actually the goalkeeping coach. And he was like, yeah, come along for a session. So I actually ended up playing a game. Like I came back from Switzerland on like the Thursday. I drove back from Switzerland, 
trained with them for like an hour and a half and then they needed a keeper for the Sunday so I ended up playing with them my first game in like seven years I couldn't even kick the ball like I literally like from the ground I could hardly even get it out my out my box because I'd had it I'd had the ACL injury and I had my hamstring taken out my right hand my right leg sorry put into my left so like obviously my brain you know to the muscle memory was all gone so kicking that ball was yeah it was embarrassing but um, <laughs> obviously gave me something to work on but yeah and how did you notice obviously you've been away from the game for a few years did you notice any differences from the time prior playing and then your skiing and then come back to it yeah definitely I think there's uh, obviously a lot like a bigger hype about it now and the facilities are a lot better than obviously back in the day that we had and yeah, like clubs are now getting paid, like some Scottish, there's I think three or four teams that are now getting paid in the Scottish yeah, Ben, which is amazing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's obviously amazing to hear and that's come a long way from when I, when I was playing because there was kind of no money really involved, well, a little bit, but not, not as much as it is now. So it's amazing to see and the standard is definitely growing for sure. So. You, uh, you ended up playing international football again. But yeah. this came from Malta. Uh, yeah. So I noticed to do with your was it your granddad? Yeah, my grandfather, yeah. So how how did the conversation come that you ended up becoming Malta's number one for a wee bit? Um so I was I wasn't not Malta's number one, but I, I was on the squad. But the, <laughs> basically the my coach Andy again, he was like, Where's your last name come from? And I was like, Malta, and he was like, You've got a passport? And I was like, Yeah, he was like, I'm emailing them. I was like, what? I was like, I don't want to be back playing football a few months. And I was like, this is so crazy. And they were like, yeah, like we sent a few videos and they were like, we'd love to like give her a trial. So I went over there for a week and played with them. And then they were like, yeah, we want you to, to be on the squad. So I was like, well, this is happening. Like, this is mad. But it was, it was amazing. And they got called up to go to the Euro qualifiers in Denmark and Bosnia. So I went away with them for that. I didn't play, but it was it was obviously an amazing experience. Is it, was there any issues, obviously, because you represented Great Britain in another sport and yeah, you were representing yeah. Rolling Football? I take it there wasn't any crossover with that? No, I, I don't think so. There didn't seem to be. <laughs> and in terms of kind of when you were out there with the Maltese squad, how do you like assess like comparing like individual sports like skiing and boxing, which we're just about to come to, and then yeah. like team sports like football? Do you do you treat them differently? Do they feel different to you? They definitely do feel different. Yeah, obviously when you bring like how many girls is in a team, maybe like twenty. If you bring twenty girls together, there's obviously going to be some like not everyone's going to get along, you know. And yeah, but like a team sport is so different to an individual sport because. At the end of the day, like in like boxing and skiing, if I'm having a bad day, then it's only me that I'm letting down. Or maybe like the, my team, you know, my coaches as well. But in football, if it's like being a keeper as well, you make that one mistake and like nine times out of ten, it's a goal. So like you can't really, like if you have a bad day, you're bringing everyone else down as well. But then obviously if you're having a bad day, then you've got people around you to kind of help you with that as well. But yeah, it does feel a lot different. But I think personally... I am suited so much more as an individual sport than a team one. And is there anything, is there any reason that you can pinpoint for that? Is it just a, a feeling that you have whenever you kind of do something by yourself? Yeah, I think, I, I don't know, I guess I just, I, I hate having to rely on people. I think that's what it is. Like, I, you know, like I could be saving all the shots in the world 
up the back, but if there's nothing going on up the front, like we could win maybe nil nil, but like or not well, you know what I mean, like drawing out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I think like individually, like I'm in the power of everything I do, and if something goes wrong, then I don't have anyone else to blame but myself. And obviously, if I win, then I get to take all the credit as well. So you've done skiing, you've done yeah. football twice. Yeah. You know, you know boxing. So yeah. What led you from going? I was going to say something really cheesy about putting down your goalkeeper's gloves and picking up the boxing gloves, but yeah, said it now, right? But um, yeah, so end of end of end of SWPL season last season, did you know yeah. at the end of last season that you were going to kind of give up football again and try and do something else? What what was the timeline for that? Well, towards the end, I'd actually um, I'd signed up to that white collar boxing match, and I didn't. I, I, I actually didn't really know, I don't know, I didn't think about it really, because obviously it was a Saturday, well it was a Saturday, and then I had, obviously football was always on a Sunday, so I was like, you know what, if I play on a Sunday, then I'll be fine, because surely in the boxing match I'll be fine, <laughs> so, but they they make you train like twice a week, and their training days was a Sunday, and then it was a Friday, so some days I would be, I it, like some days I'd be training boxing on a Sunday morning, and then going playing football and then on a Friday night we were training then as well so it was quite hard and I kind of had to start missing sessions for football because I had to make a certain amount of boxing sessions for them to allow me to fight so yeah it just kind of went from there and then I had my fight and the reason why I wanted that white collar boxing matches match and didn't go straight to like an amateur first fight is because I wanted to see if I liked it and I, I had been so I basically started boxing with Alex Arthur who's my coach now and I met him during my rehab. I actually met him through an interview. Uh, no, like I was having an interview with this woman and she was like, do you know who Alex Arthur is? Like I'll introduce you. He's like just got this boxing gym. So throughout my rehab, I kind of just did it maybe once a week just for cardio reasons, like nothing else. And then I'd always wanted to box, but my mom never let me do it. So then when I started boxing with him, he was like, well, you're like, like you know what I mean? Like if you train, like you could actually be quite good. So I kept training and then... You had that boxing match and then I won and then I was like whoa I love this <laughs> <laughs> so I've had four boxing matches yeah is there much crossover from football to boxing or even from skiing to boxing in terms of what you've experienced skiing training wise I think for football for sure because obviously being a keeper you've got a lot of eye high eye hand eye hand eye coordination <laughs> there we go um and then obviously footwork as well being a keeper so there is a little bit of crossover there with skiing I'm not so sure probably not no maybe the fearless bit a wee bit um but yeah apart from that I don't think so what, what's it like going into a ring actively want no well, you don't want to be hit but knowing you're going to get hit like that first time you did it did it feel weird like well, how did it feel the first time you were kind of in the ring it was obviously scary like the thing that scared me the most was the fear of the unknown I didn't kind of know what to expect but as weird as this is going to sound I like getting hit <laughs> so it's probably bad in a way because I go into things maybe that I shouldn't because I'm not scared of getting hit you know and maybe I hope touch wood but we'll see what happens but maybe one time I'll, I'll go into something I shouldn't and I'll get smacked but until that comes uh, yeah I kind of go into stuff and a bit fearless because I guess I don't really mind getting hit that much. <laughs> so you're dropping the hands and showboating a little bit as you're kind of dancing around? Nah, nah, never, <laughs> never dropping the hands. Hands are always up. <laughs> so is, is boxing now the, the main focus at the moment then in terms of next next aspirations? 
Yeah, for sure. I actually, so I'd, it got cancelled, but the, I actually entered into the Scottish, which was meant to be just before this Corona thing. So that would have been my fifth fight. So I was, yeah, I was going, I was going for it for sure. I don't do anything half-assed. <laughs> so what, what's the next goal then for you? Because obviously you've, you've like, is it, is it trying to get to that level? Maybe you can get to an Olympics? Do you, yeah. Is like, something that's still, because you haven't, you obviously got so close twice. Yeah, something that's still like in the back of your head sometimes and you can have time to think about it yeah definitely I think my next goal is to get onto the Scottish team that's what I want to do next and then from there I guess kind of go everywhere and travel all over the all, all over the world and fight so yeah I'd love to do it in in the third sport third sports representing Scotland would be be amazing and then yeah hopefully the Olympics in I guess four years in Paris that would be that would be the ultimate goal yeah uh, Commonwealth Games as well for boxing. Is that... Yeah, there is, yeah. I think that's in, what, two years' time now? Well, at the moment it's two years' time. Hopefully it's yeah. Time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you, ever, would you ever go back to football? Would you ever try something else? You mentioned right at the start you're quite energetic in yeah. when you get into something. Could you see yourself changing again or do you think you've maybe found something you can settle on for a bit? I think I'm definitely settled for a bit, you know, like I've wanted to do this for so long. So whenever I train I never feel like I'm you know training it's kind of something that I absolutely love so I put everything into it but if they're like I, I don't see it happening to be honest I, could, I honestly couldn't see myself doing anything else right now so so I'm going to concentrate on for football I don't know I don't know what it would take for me to go back there to be honest but I think it would I don't I, I just don't I can't see it happening. <laughs> yeah. Boxing for us. <laughs> okay. Well, that's lots we packed in there. Let's let's finish off with a little bit of food chat because we always like to do a little okay. bit of food chat at the back end of this. I don't think I actually yeah. mentioned this to you yet. So uh, yeah. No. <laughs> so what we'll do is we'll just have a little chat about food. I just like to tie it in just as I can. Uh, I guess good insight in terms of what you do. And obviously, with you now kind of focusing on the boxing, that'd be quite interesting. Yep. So in terms of food, do you have a big foodie? Do you like do you like your food? I love food. Do you love like volume or do you love like all different types? Mm, I'd say I love all different types, yeah. But I can eat a lot. Um, is, when you've kind of done all, going on your travels, is, is it something that your diet gets quite closely monitored or does it depend on the kind of sport you've been doing in terms of what, what that has been? Yeah, I think, well, in skiing, I mean, at the start, when because we when I first started skiing, it wasn't even Olympic sport, so we were all just skiing because we loved it. So it was very different, you know. Uh, we used to eat sweets all the time. We just used to eat whatever we wanted constantly. But then once it got an Olympic sport, sport, it we started to obviously start eating well and actually eating like a proper athlete. So it did get monitored a bit, but we got advice on it. But some of the athletes would just eat whatever they wanted. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, we would try to eat as healthy as we could, you know, to help our performance. So. What's your kind of um, go-to? So when you're training, for example, is it a kind of similar in terms of the kind of carb, protein, the complex nature of it when you're training for boxing? You you were mentioning earlier on as well the fact that you've managed to shift a lot of weight with all the parcels you have yep. in the post-it just now. So yeah, yeah. in terms of going into a fight, do you have a different diet from when you're maybe in the middle of training before a fight? Yeah, well, it depends, like, what my weight is. Uh, if I'm sitting at an all right weight, then I can kind of keep eating what I'm eating. If not, then I cut out the carbs. And I think my last fight, I cut, like, 
I think maybe three kilos or something in like a few days and that was just cutting out carbs so yeah I guess it gets a lot like different towards the fight depending obviously on what my weight is sitting at but yeah right before I fight all I do is eat sweets <laughs> <laughs> lots so and friendly. lots of sweets and then see when you're going in for a weigh-in as well even if you don't eat like say there's like chocolate or something that you don't normally eat because you can't have it you want it so as soon as you weigh in you're like oh I've got because you bought all this chocolate and then as soon as you weigh in and you eat a little bit you're like oh I don't even want that I just wanted it because I couldn't have it just the idea so, of it yeah yeah, I'll tell you what then, if you were to have, like, what, what's your favourite dinner? If you were, like, to be kind of made a dinner, what would be your choice? What would be your favourite? Oh, can it be a restaurant? It can be a restaurant, yeah. I'd go for an Ando's for sure. Ah, I was so upset. You said, I, do you know what? I was going to say no, because I was really concerned that you were going to say Nando's, and then you said Nando's. Do you want me to change it? No, no, no. You say Nando's, that's cool. Um, I'd, like, I, should, I should stress, I don't mind Nando's. It's just, yeah. you know, g g make your case for Nando's. Convince me. I think I'm just going to start asking people to convince me about Nando's and tell me why it's so mm -hmm. great. I just think, I don't know, it's just so tasty. And, like, their chips, they've got, obviously, peri salt on it. They've got peronese, which is so nice. They cook their halloumi perfect. And, yeah, their sauce is always good. And, I don't know, I just love it. How, um, how hot do you go on your sauce? Just a medium. Just medium. I'm not a spicy kind of girl. I, uh, I don't like I've had an Andos. I've got, I have no issues with Andos. It's it's fine for what it is. But yeah. um, uh, anytime I ask this, Nando's is very much the, the standard answer. So when you said yeah. restaurant, I was like, here we go. We're, we're going to get <laughs> it's going to be an Andos. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, then let's flip that around. What's like the one to see if somebody put something like what would be the worst thing somebody could put in front of you to eat? Oh, that's a hard question. I would say. I don't know. Maybe Brussels sprouts. I hate them. Brussels sprouts? Yeah, don't like them. Are they something you leave off your Christmas Christmas dinner then when you're having? hundred percent. I've always been a fussy eater. And then this year I was like, I don't know, everyone goes around saying that they hate them. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll try one because, I mean, I haven't tried it in a while. And safe to say that is never going in my mouth again. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think the, the problem with Brussels sprouts is like everybody else like boils them. I yeah. like roast them or fry them. Oh, do you? Yeah, a bit of bacon, maybe just because there's bacon on it, to be honest with you. Maybe, maybe I should try that. Yeah. That's cool. That's great. Um, okay, there's a question I ask everybody on the podcast, and it's to do with tunics. So, tunics make four products they make right. snowball, the caramel log, the tea cake, and the wafer. Yeah. If you could only pick one, which one would you pick? The wafer, 100%. Why, why would you pick the wafer over the other three? Because I don't like marshmallows. Don't like marshmallows? So, oh, okay, so somebody put a, a plate of Brussels sprouts or a plate of marshmallows in front of you, which one would you choose? Oh, God. That's a hard one. I'd probably go for the Brussels sprouts, you know? Oh, really, eh? Yeah. Well, so what's that about marshmallows in it? Don't I think it's the texture, I don't know. Just They just don't taste so gooey and not nice. But they're okay. I don't mind them if they're cooked and then they're crispy on the outside. Yeah. Which is a bit but, weird, but yeah, don't like marshmallows. Okay. Marshmallows. I am never here to judge anybody. Everybody <laughs> has their own food taste. I know I'll say stuff weird that people don't like and people like, so that's cool. I'll tell you what, say say the training goes really well, really successfully, you make it onto the Scotland squad, you get to the Commonwealth Games, you win gold, yep. and you're mm -hmm. told you're going to get taken out for a big slap-up dinner. 
to celebrate. Yeah. Where would you, I, well, I don't know. Where would you go? I'd actually go to there's a place called Baba's on George Street, and it's got it's like kind of like a tapas kind of place, and they have this turkey breast, and it's so good. So I'm gonna go with it instead of Nando's. I'll go there. That's cool. So Baba's in George Street. So if anyone yeah. from Baba's is listening, get a table booked for Anna for 20. Yes, 30. 100%. We'll be sorted. Yep. Well, Anna, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's super cool of you. Um, yep. If you've liked this, no, no problem. If you like listening to this, then go subscribe onto iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the full range of them. Leave a line on Twitter, give some five-star reviews. They're really helpful because it means people are more likely to listen to it. Um, and until then, we'll speak to you again soon. But Anna, thanks very much again for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. Catch you later. Bye-bye.